0: I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today is a special episode of Mobile Matters because it marks our six-month anniversary for the podcast and our 25th episode. Given these milestones, I thought we'd do something a little bit different this week. So instead of having a guest from one of the world's top brands share their expertise, I've actually put together my favorite insights advice and best practices from all the guests that we've had on the show so far. So think of this as your mobile masterclass from some of the top marketing and tech leaders in the world. Let's get started. My very first guest and interview for mobile matters was the SVP of digital marketing and strategy and omni channel commerce at Simon property group. Patrick was a wealth of information about numerous mobile topics. And honestly, I could have talked to him for hours but the one topic that really stuck with me during our conversation was his guidance on how to transition your company to a mobile-first mindset and how he personally makes a conscious effort to do that.
1: It's an ongoing grind uh, to rewire your team's brain your or your enterprise's uh, DNA. This is hard, right? So especially as a business user who like I'm guessing a lot of the listeners sit in front of a laptop or a desktop machine, right? So a lot of our daily lives are first and foremost driven from a desktop type uh, experience, right? When I'm doing work, you know, my desk in office, I'm on a a desktop browser experience. So a lot of times it's so easy to, when someone sends you a link, say, Hey, we want your feedback on this to to literally not look at it first on is it so it's so easy just to click the link in your email client and It and opens up on my huge 26 inch monitor here to go you know what not going to click it there I'm going to pull up my phone I'm going to go multi-device here for a few seconds I'm going to look at it first and foremost on my device
0: when I chatted with Marsha Villasenor who leads digital messaging at Merkle she brought up one of my favorite hot topics related to email marketing that really tends to send fear down the spines of so many email marketers out there gasp, everyone purging subscribers, even though we all know getting rid of unengaged subscribers is actually better for our brand in the long run. We're also fearful to do it. Take a listen to what Marsha had to say. If I'm sending something repeatedly, and you're not
2: opening it, or you're not responding, you're not interested. And you're either not interested in my product, not interested in my message, or you don't want to be engaged with through that channel. So that's where you really want to, you know, look at behavior and say, okay, well, they're not responding to SMS, but they're opening every email. So maybe I should stop sending SMS and focus on email or vice versa. Um, you know, that's where you really need to take the customer behavior into
3: account.
0: Another topic that has come up a few times in my interviews with guests is regarding native mobile apps and the challenges that many brands face with them today. One of the comments that really stood out for me in my conversation with Dave Galanti was about how crucial it is for brands to provide ongoing value with their native mobile app if they want true customer engagement. Take a listen to what Dave had to say.
4: I think to kind of get in that top five, you know, home screen real estate, you've got to add value every single day. And, you know, in the app world too, you know, there, there is like this kind of app um, apathy, you know, and kind of like fatigue where, you know, you've got a lot of apps. And if you're kind of on that second or third screen, it's kind of like the graveyard.
0: One of the hottest mobile topics right now is all about 5G and the impact it's going to have on all of us really soon. So when I wanted to have a guest on the podcast to talk about 5G, I honestly couldn't think of anyone better than Bill Swords, president of AT&T Indiana. During my interview, he gives one of the best summaries about 5G that I've ever heard.
5: 5G networks will certainly be faster. In fact, um, many believe that 5G networks will be about a hundred times faster Than today's 4G LTE networks. But over the years, as we've gone from one generation to the next, speed has been about the only differentiator. And certainly there's going to be a heck of a lot of speed that comes with 5G networks. Instead of thinking about megabits, we're going to be thinking about gigabits per second. But that's just one small facet of 5G. Uh, latency is a a huge part of what, but that is going to be almost instantaneous in a 5G world. And so lower latency brings all kinds of new applications and um, ones that we can think of today and ones that haven't been invented yet. That web browser, you know, it may be a half a second or less today in a 4G world.
0: My next guest on Mobile Matters for episode five was Gilda Hilera. She's the senior product manager for marketing technology at Aetna, a Salesforce trailblazer, and an overall digital marketing rock star, in my opinion. In this episode, Gilda and I talked about so many relevant topics that I think all of you can benefit from. But the one piece of advice that she mentioned that I find most marketers steer away from involves making friends with your legal and compliance colleagues. Here's what she had to say on the subject.
3: Because even with mobile, you still need to involve legal, you still need to involve compliance, you might need to involve your IT teams or your area developers, but have a sounding board that understands the rules, regulation, and processes and understands the overall mobile strategy. Get them involved early on in order to, for them to help you make the
0: right decision. We've also talked about some of the mega trends influencing technology and how brands will need to engage with consumers. And there was really no better person to have that conversation with than Rob Martins, president of Allegiant Ventures and global futurist for Allegiant. Seriously, how many times do you get the opportunity to talk to someone whose title is futurist and is tasked with determining what trends are going to majorly impact businesses moving forward? Let's hear what Rob had to say about the major trends and technologies that you need to be aware of today.
6: When you look at trends that are impacting technology going forward. Many of them are based on connecting things that historically haven't been connected, such as the IoT. And there's some serious megatrends at work there. Um, You know, sensors are more available and less expensive than they've ever been. And you can see that trending, you know, down in terms of their cost. All of the data that those sensors Uh, generate is less expensive to transition through the pipes, if you will, than it has ever been before. And that trend is continuing down. And then the actual tools that are used historically to make dirty data into usable, clean, uh, viable information for people to use, those tools are more accessible and less expensive than they've ever been. So those three megatrends alone uh, along with mobility are driving a whole new generation of IOT solutions, even past what we started with just a couple of years ago.
0: Occasionally on Mobile Matters, I have the opportunity to chat with a guest that would give me what I like to call a hot take. And I absolutely love hot takes, everyone. More to come on that in a future episode. And Sean Swigman, co-founder and chief strategy officer at DemandJump, definitely had a hot take when he said it might be time for all of us to accept that the marketing funnel is broken. Take a listen.
7: I think what marketers are starting to wake up to is that the funnel is broken. Uh, we, we used to believe, uh, and many marketers still do believe today, that you know the funnel is broken up into four layers. And at the highest level, you have awareness, and then you have consideration, then decision, and then a purchase. And so they build campaigns to target users at each layer. But what we've realized is at the bottom of the funnel, you get awareness, consideration, decision, and purchase, right? You get it all at the top of the funnel. You only get awareness, right? Said another way, uh, if if you're spending money on awareness campaigns to build the brand, but then when that user's ready to buy, they don't see you. Well, you just wasted your spend. Right. So we believe marketers are kind of waking up to the fact that they have to fill the funnel from a budget standpoint from the bottom up, right? Until they don't have any more, more money. It makes no sense to waste money on, on pure play sort of awareness campaigns for this, just branding for the sake of branding. And while branding is important, it's more important uh, that you're branding from the bottom of the funnel all the way up.
0: Now, let's talk near-field communication, or NFC for short. You may not be familiar with the name, but I know you're familiar with the technology because it's what powers Apple Pay, and it has the potential for so many other mobile experiences. Let's hear what Tim Daly from NXP had to say about how you should be thinking about using NFC for your business.
4: What I'm worried about is that brands are going to view NFC solely as a marketing channel for their benefit. And if that's the case, then um, rest assured, NFC will not go the way it should go. Um, however, if you offer true value, so value is unique to each person. If you could offer unique value to each person for taking for the very act of taking their phone out and touching it to your product and engaging, then you've got something interesting. And you know, value is relative to each person. It's relative to where you are, that moment in time, and what you're doing. So, if I'm in a supermarket and I'm hell bent on buying 10 boxes of Kraft macaroni and cheese and you're going to offer me 2 for 1 right then and there because I've touched my my phone to your 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 package and I've you know engaged with you well that's a value to me at that moment in time if I'm buying a Nike jersey and I'm going to a game and I touch my phone and I get a VIP ticket upgrade that's really cool that's a value but it can't be generic push messaging that's so pre- prevalent in, in marketing and advertising. It's gotta be customized, contextual, personalized messaging. Because I said earlier, you, it's through the mobile device. The mobile device knows who I am, it knows where I am, it knows what I like, it knows what I don't like, and plus I can make payments with it. You can harness all of that with NFC. So make sure your messaging is contextual and harnesses that, those, those functions make it cool, make it personal, make it value-added for me.
0: When I had the chance to talk to Taylor Webster from Lowe's, he shared a lot about how they're thinking about mobile strategy at Lowe's and how they're measuring its effectiveness. But one of my favorite parts of our conversation was when he made a point about how crucial it is to remember what industry you're in and what really matters to your customers. In a world full of shiny objects that can be distracting and we all can chase, I think his insight is something we all really need to take to heart
3: it all starts at, you know, at your, your core customer base and then what your industry is. You know, so like you know, to me, it's this is the way I like to look at it is strip it all away. Like what is my main purpose here? You know, in my industry for me, Lowe's it's to sell products You know, to sell those products, you know, paid. So what does my customer need? Yeah, I need like from a digital standpoint, I need to be able to visualize products, you know? So yeah, AR is kind of important to us, you know, and, because what's the hard thing about selling a product on, uh, like Lowe's.com or in an app or somewhere like that is I don't know if it's going to fit. I don't know if it's the right color. You know, it's a, it's a nice grill, but I don't want to buy the grill that has, you know, like this mat, a bunch of burners on it. And I set it on my patio and now I have no patio left because it's the whole size. You know, it, it's a, you know, I, AR has great place for that. And I, I think we saw a lot of that in retailers coming through this past year with, um, um, the Amazons and a bunch of other folks were really pushing you know that that visualization we we have that too we have it um on our android platform at the moment but at the end of the day our customers ready to think about it in that light you know because um that that is a, a a tool that can help a customer close the deal per se or feel comfortable with their their confident about the purchase that they're making but you know we haven't really seen the adoption enough to say that customers are quite ready to use that technology for that purpose um and um so you know we scale back you know and focus back into the core which is how do we help product information and finding and and information and like and and actually you know deals and whatever the other content that customers are actually seeking for. But staying focused on what is your main purpose, what is your you know having solid um, KPIs and solid um, purpose you know through the business plans is is really where it needs to pull out from you know and how you make decisions on that front.
0: I've had the pleasure of interviewing a ton of amazing guests on Mobile Matters, but I was literally awed when Alex Russell from Google agreed to be on the show. He's seen as the father of progressive web apps, which are fundamentally changing how mobile and the web work. And his interview was so phenomenal that I had to make it in two episodes. Now let's hear directly from Alex about the genesis of PWAs.
7: You could just say, imagine that all the apps on your phone uh, and increasingly on your desktop were just web apps. That is to say, they actually are web apps. You build them and deploy them on the web, uh, but they have that deep system integration. What's the difference between where we have been and what's required to be there? And that, that space in the middle, uh, that's what we work on. Uh, and that's what the uh, genesis of Progressive Web Apps has been.
0: When I chatted with Spencer Burke, the VP of Growth at Raise, our conversation quickly focused on how brands can drive phenomenal results with their mobile efforts, whether that's through a mobile campaign designed to drive adoption or something like a push notification. Take a listen to Spencer's advice on how you should be thinking about your mobile marketing efforts.
8: It doesn't need to be gimmicky. It doesn't need to be over the top. You don't need to overuse humor in what you're doing. I think a lot of people feel like you know, I'm setting a push notification, I don't have that much space, so I need to say something really kind of funny or clever, like it's Twitter, or people, or it's not going to resonate with people. And I think you, you don't need to do that if that's not your brand or if that doesn't relate to your product. So just focusing on the fundamentals of who your customers are, who your brand is, how you can make a great experience. I think when you do that, it all kind of just dovetails nicely. And it's something that's really rewarding and adds value to your customer's entire experience and then hopefully to kind of their broader life.
0: While most of my guests on the show are usually marketing leaders, I actively seek out engineering and product leaders too, because I believe their expertise can be tremendously beneficial to all marketers. So when I had the chance to talk to Drone Deploy's VP of engineering, Eric Hauser, I dove in to find out what he's thinking about when he's developing their mobile first product. And he shared something that they're doing at Drone Deploy that I think really every software company in the world needs to start doing immediately. Take a listen.
2: We actually set goals for our engineering team, uh, and so this year we've got a we've got a goal that every engineer is going to go out and visit a, a customer on site and uh, write up a lo- set of learnings and kind of send that back to the team. Uh, another really great way to kind of engage with your customers is to get the our, our engineers involved on this, with our sales team and uh, have engineers participate on sales calls. Where they're talking to new prospects, so they can learn a little bit about what those prospects are trying to accomplish, and so so it's it's really uh, we look for kind of interesting and innovative ways to kind of introduce customers into the process for uh, for people who normally wouldn't be customer facing. Uh, I think your you know your your product managers and your your sales team and they have, they have easy ways to get to get interactions with customers on a daily basis, but I think it can be a little bit harder for the engineers. So we, we put some effort into that. Uh, and, and you know think that it really helps pay off in the development of our software because we can think about customer-first uh, use cases.
0: If you're familiar with the MarTech landscape at all, then you've likely seen Scott Brinker's MarTech 5000 landscape super graphic at some point. And fun fact, this year's version is actually more than 7,000 MarTech companies. When I spoke to Scott, we talked about a variety of topics ranging from why you should be experimenting with 20% of your overall tech stack, to why the customer journey mapping process might need an overhaul, to why you need to be able to have a marketing team that's agile and feels the ability to fail quickly. But my favorite part of the conversation was when we talked about tech stacks and this propensity that everyone has to post a picture on a channel probably LinkedIn, of what their tech stack looks like without any context whatsoever. So let's hear from Scott about why we shouldn't immediately look at that picture and go out and buy the same tech as everyone else.
5: I mean, there's almost no technology you find in the marketing space that you just plug in and it magically starts, you know, generating customers and happy customer experiences for you. And so, yeah, I mean, when you look at the tools a particular company is using, really you're only seeing like a tiny sliver of like what's actually happening there. What you don't get there is that sense of, okay, well, How are they actually, how have they actually incorporated this, uh, you know, into the customer experience, into the way they're delivering, you know, uh, marketing programs, uh, you know, managing these different touch points. Uh, And yeah, if you just sort of chase after the tool without (laughs) that context, uh, yeah, you plug it in and well, wait a second, I didn't magically turn into a Procter & Gamble. What happened here?
0: One of the great benefits of speaking with so many amazing leaders is that they actually introduce me to other phenomenal leaders that they respect. And that's exactly how I got connected with my next two guests from Microsoft. After I spoke with Alex Russell from Google, he suggested I reach out and speak with Jeff Bertoff from Microsoft about progressive web apps. And then after talking to Jeff, he suggested I chat with another colleague of his at Microsoft, Aaron Gustafson. And he's been instrumental in the PWA space as well. So take a listen to some of the insights that both Jeff and Aaron provided in their interviews.
9: One of the great things about PWAs is that it's, it's helping different developers accomplish different goals. But if you are comparing it to a native app, and that's actually one of the strategies that we see more and more often is that um, we have a app in this store, we have an Android app, we have an iOS app, we have a Windows app, we would really love to have one app that runs everywhere. And so if you're comparing it to a strategy for native apps, then you're basically looking at the value prop you get for a PWA and the value prop that you get for a native app. And it's a challenge sometimes to meet all of the goals that you get with a native. And I can tell you, that's one of those things that we at Microsoft are thinking about all the time and the folks at Google and at Mozilla and Apple are thinking about all the time. How can we make that experience on the web just like a native one? I mean, if you think about just even like with some of the new CSS specs that are coming up with Houdini and the Paint API, they're all designed around being able to create that same immersive experience for users that you can get on a native app. So some developers, when they're looking at their strategy from that perspective, they've got to figure out, can I meet the same goals, the same design principles, the same needs that I'm meeting with my native app? And if I can, totally, let's do progressive web app.
0: What is the area that you find that most people struggle with when they implement their first PWA? I
1: think that we're all struggling to figure out caching. I, I think, and and I say this because it is... Sort of a a tremendous opportunity and a privilege to be able to control what's stored on a user's disk. And I think that we can abuse that privilege. You know, we can, we can cache way too much. You know, if if we were to cache absolutely every page that somebody visited, let's say a a very high image site, maybe like a, a store site or something like that, if you're caching absolutely every asset, I like
3: are going to fill up their disk space really quickly. And, and that just feels abusive to me.
0: One of the concepts that I've been talking a lot about on this show is that mobile is more than just apps. It's really about anything that involves a mobile device, whether that's your phone, your tablet, wearables, voice, et cetera, and all of the content you're accessing or engaging on those devices. So since most of our website traffic is typically consumed on mobile devices, I knew I had to have an SEO expert on the show to really give us all a rundown on what's happening in SEO today. And my first thought was Rand Fishkin. Rand is the founder of SparkToro and the former co-founder of Moz and pretty much the guru on all things SEO. So let's hear from Rand about what he sees as the biggest factor impacting the SEO landscape.
5: I think that certainly one of the biggest, if not the biggest, is Google's shift away from being a search engine that refers traffic to a search engine that tries to answer queries with their own results so you know in fields like flights hotels weather traffic lyrics film and television medical queries right google is essentially pr- trying to present results that prevent you from clicking on anyone else's website and just let Google themselves answer it or solve that problem for you and and, and monetize that problem, right, for, for Google. And I think that's been that's been a very effective strategy for them and for their shareholders. And it's been immensely frustrating for, you know, everyone else on the web. But that is a reality. And so I think, you know, a lot of marketers and a lot of SEOs have had to compensate with changes in their strategy in terms of diversifying their traffic, targeting keywords and phrases that are likely to still have decent organic click through, investing in paid advertising when Google presents that as kind of the only option above, above their own results, or potentially changing their business model to serve, you know, different audiences, different keywords, different subjects to deal with that.
0: We really can't talk about anything mobile without having a guest share their expertise on how you should be thinking about the user experience. When I talked to Dan Laughlin, Senior Designer of User Experience at IBM iX, he provided so many great best practices about how you should think about structuring your design process so that you can have a wonderful user experience while also accelerating delivery. But my favorite piece of advice he shared has to do with why you shouldn't necessarily celebrate when you launch a new project. Take a listen to what Dan had to say on the subject.
10: There are a lot of um, places that I've worked that celebrate a launch. And, And while launching is great, I think it's wonderful to be able to track progress because the success of something that has been created isn't defined by it being released out into the wild it's defined by whether or not it's doing the things it's supposed to do for the business and whether people that use it want to keep using it so analytics is a great way to measure based on the the KPIs that are defined early as you're setting out to make this thing having measurements after it's launched and being honest with those measurements you know so in, in not just reporting on measurements, but reporting on uh, measurements compared to the goals. So not, hey, we had 300 visitors. Hey, we had 300, but our goal was 2,000. And here are the things we need to change to fix those. So that's one way is just being understanding that things don't have to work perfectly when they're launched. It's an ongoing effort to make them as good as they can be. And it's okay if it's not as good as you thought it would be be willing to change quickly.
0: Personally, I have a strong hatred of clickbait headlines. They're my least favorite thing. And one of those regarding marketing is the articles that claim that email is dead. There have been numerous studies that refute this topic, but it seems to be an ongoing headline literally every year. So when I had the opportunity to speak with the head of research at the Oracle Marketing Cloud Consulting and all around email marketing guru, Chad White, I knew I had to get his perspective on this very topic.
8: I think this is the most ridiculous storyline ever. And I don't know why this storyline isn't dead. You know, this really all started with social media, uh, started with Facebook, with Sheryl Sandberg and Mark Zuckerberg, and them making pretty disparaging comments about, uh, about email and how email was dying as a way of self-promoting, right? They, they, they were kicking email to make themselves look better. And I think it's really interesting to me that this story continues to have traction given what has happened over the years. So first of all, social has morphed from earned media very strongly into paid media. So like the whole promise of social media has like shifted gears. And and during this time, uh, email's value prop uh, is is largely the same despite a a lot of changes sort of um, uh, underneath uh, the surface. So you know, compared to some other channels, EMA has a lot of like really powerful strengths. And, and so can we just prattle off just a few, which is why I think this conversation is, is kind of so ridiculous. I mean first of all, ubiquity. Everybody has an email account and more email accounts than there are Facebook accounts by a long shot. and there are quite a few Facebook accounts. So ubiquity. It's the account of record. Everybody has an email uh, account. that's where all their receipts go. It's where all their password resets go. You know, it's, it's the status quo. More importantly, and I think this sometimes gets lost in the conversations about other channels and in particular social, email is the channel through which consumers want to engage with brands. Other channels are preferred channels for interpersonal communications, communications with friends. But if you ask people how they want to receive updates, notifications, and other types of messaging from brands, the vast majority of them say email. It has been that way for a decade. It's undisputed that email is the channel through which brand communications are most welcome.
0: I had the great pleasure of conducting three episodes live from MMA Impact. Which is a global marketing conference hosted by the Mobile Marketing Association. My first interview was with a marketing leader from a historic brand that we all knew and loved when we grow up and that our children interact with every day, Crayola. Take a listen to what Crayola's VP of Marketing Communications and Interactive Platform, Josh Crew, had to say about how we should be messaging consumers.
1: The expectations of the consumer. Uh, there's certainly still a role, absolutely, for push marketing and reaching mass audiences, but I think that there's a desire to engage consumers in a way that uh, they are extracting way more value. I think they expect way more value from the engagements that we have with them. And So the way that we have to think about marketing is I can't just do a TV ad and reach the masses. I've got to surround them with content and things that they are engaged in. And that could be you know, content on an Amazon page to help them find a product better that they're looking for, to... You know, video content that helps them engage better with their kids. Uh, But I think as brands and as digital marketers, that's really the biggest push is that I I don't just want to throw stuff at the wall anymore. I want to have things that connect with you on a one-to-one basis that's relevant to you.
0: One of my favorite parts about this show is the chance to chat with other senior marketing and tech leaders. And it's been especially gratifying when that guest is a phenomenal female leader, such as Rochelle Hardigan from GE Lighting. The conversation I had with her at MMA Impact was full of great insights and best practices. And my favorite part of our talk was when she shared about her perspective on failure and why we all have to get comfortable with it. Take a listen.
11: I think we go in with the mindset that it's okay that there are going to be some things that fail. We know that not every tactic and new new shiny object is going to be successful, right? It's There are going to be some that just don't deliver what we thought they would, yeah. and that's okay. I think it certainly hurts my heart when it's our, you know, it was... a a part of my budget that I could have put into something else, but the risk was: what if it turned out great? And sometimes, and quite often, it really does. So it's worth the risk to to put a little bit of investment, a little bit of effort and energy into something new that could turn into something really good. So it hurts, but but it's worth it. It's sort of a good a good hurt. And you learn fast, yes. and then pivot. You know, that's a, I think that's a GE tenant, which is you know, fail fast and pivot was something that they. They said to us many years when I first started, I remembered that one, which was, it's good. There's this environment where we go out and learn and test and try things because you don't know what you might succeed in. But if, you, if it's not working, stop and, and turn around pretty quickly. Just don't linger in it.
0: If you can't tell by now, I love talking to marketing and tech leaders that challenge the status quo and ask the thought-provoking questions. And that's exactly what Brent Bolden, VP of Marketing, Media, and Customer Acquisition at Choice Hotels did when I talked to him at MMA Impact. My conversation with him was full of thought-provoking ideas. Take a listen to one of my favorites that he brought up.
1: When I first got into this space, digital marketing was sort of a a niche, if you will, you know there was traditional marketing, and, and uh, digital was a group of subject matter experts that kind of sat off to the side. And, and uh, over 10 years or so, the entire world has gone digital. I don't even know if digital marketing is necessarily a thing anymore because digital marketing and marketing are one and the same.
0: One of the iconic brands that's really been pushing the envelope on how they think about marketing lately has been Campbell's Soup Company. And their VP of digital acceleration, Matt Pritchard, has been leading that charge. During my conversation with Matt, we talked about what he's doing at Campbell's Soup, but really ended up spending a majority of our conversation talking about what it means to be a mobile marketer. And let me tell you, he's got a great perspective on the skill set we all need to be successful in marketing today. Take a listen to what Matt had to say.
12: Yeah, look, I think uh, I say to my team and to people who embrace the world we're in from a modern marketing perspective, I think you need three skills uh, that underpin all of your approach. That's curiosity, passion and resilience, because it's not easy. We're trying to change uh, not just a marketing organisation, the the, the organisations that go around marketing. So finance, so HR, so supply chain. So, you know, it's it's a really tiring job at points because you're trying to change a legacy of what's gone before. But I think if you've got passion and curiosity, you know, that gets you some of the way. And I think one of the biggest things, you know, again, if I think about my team, at its highest level, I split it into two things. One is about providing subject matter experts where you don't need to duplicate those resources because you can apply them better off uh, centrally. And then two, to build the skills and capabilities of our marketers in the organisation. And I do that through four pillars. Uh, the four P's of capability of digital, I call it. One, they are people, people capability, process capability, partner capability and platform capability. So it's not just about getting the best platforms because if you haven't got the right people skills, no one's going to use the platforms. Likewise, there's no point having everyone bought in as modern marketeers and then not having the right partners or the right platforms to go after it. So I think the hardest people like me, is to balance out not what you can do, but what you should do in, in, a, in a strategic way and paint that roadmap so that everyone understands what they're working towards. But at the heart of it is understanding the consumer better than anyone else, and then engaging with that consumer in the best way.
0: It has been an absolute pleasure talking to this group of marketing and tech leaders over the past six months. And everyone, we are just getting started. I cannot wait for you to hear from the other leaders we'll have on the show in the coming months. So if you're loving the content you're hearing each week on Mobile Matters, then please take a minute to rate and review this podcast on iTunes. I would absolutely love to see your feedback. And please... Follow me on Twitter at stephaniecox04, and I'd love to see tweets from all of you about the guests that you want us to have on this show in the coming months. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit limovate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.